invite you to turn to Psalm 32. We're going to continue our series in the Psalms. And today our theme is about honesty. Woohoo! You ready? Honesty. So uh, I'm Brad Evans. This year, this month, I get to celebrate 18 years of being here at Grace. I've uh, had a number of roles right now. I'm the pastor of family and care ministries. So that means I care, right? So um, we're glad you're here today. And let me update you on my family. We've had some significant things happen this last year. Uh, first of all, my wife, my beautiful wife, Susan, we celebrate 30 years of marriage this December. And uh, that's pretty darn awesome. And she puts up with me. Yeah, that's right. You can give her a hand because uh, she needs a lot of grace. Uh, my daughter, our daughter Rachel, graduated from Texas A&M University. That's right, and got a big girl job, and we moved her to Houston. And I manned up, and I cried when we drove away. God, it was so hard to see my little girl be left there, but she's right where she needs to be, right where God's called her. And then, last but not least, my our son Andrew, who's a junior this year and wants to be a pilot. So that's our family. So we're looking at Psalm 32. This is one of seven penitential psalms. And you may be wondering, well, what does that mean? Well, you've heard of a penitentiary. What's the purpose of a penitentiary? Well, it's to bring about change. It's to bring correction in somebody's life. It's hopefully to see a a turnaround, right? And that's what these psalms are all about is we read them and we hear about the pain and the brokenness of, in our case this morning, David and some things that he did that were odious to the Lord and and the pain that that brought about his life. But we also see his confession and we see God forgiving him. We see God's mercy. So that's what we hope will happen as we read Psalm 32 and as we are real with this, as we become aware of our own need for grace and our own areas that we need forgiveness in. So the historical context, we can read about it in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. This was David's sin with Bathsheba, his adulterous affair. And as we'll talk about here in just a little bit, I don't believe it. It was just kind of a split second. Oh, hey, she's cute. I'd like to be with her. I think there was some dishonesty in his life that led up to that point over a period of time. And so he has an affair. She's pregnant. And he commits murder. Her husband, Uriah, he has him put at the front of the battle. Uriah's killed. David's trying to cover it all up. You know, he thinks he's got everything under control. The baby's born nine months later. But God knows. And God said, David, the thing that you have done is evil in my sight. And then a little bit later, Nathan's going to come and he's going to confront him. And David's going to become face-to-face with the full effect of what he's done. And so Psalm 51, we hear about his confession of sin, but in Psalm 32, we really get a glimpse of the pain that David endured, the misery that he endured when he was out of fellowship with God over that period of time and the effect that sin had on his life and and the effect that it has on our life. We also see the wonderful blessing that comes when we experience forgiveness. So this morning you're going to hear about two paths. And we're all going to be challenged with what path are we on? Are we on a path of dishonesty, lying, deception? Are we on a path of honesty that leads to God's blessing and life and fruit? So 
The uh, big idea here is honesty with God allows me to experience God's forgiveness, the divine release from the baggage of my sin. Again, we can choose to go down this path of dishonesty and we can spiral down and Satan loves to get his snares in us and make us feel like we're scum and we're not worth it. And we continue to spiral down into lies and denials and cover up and more sin and a calloused heart. Or we can come clean. We can bring our sin to light. Basic principle in God's word, there are two paths. A path of disobedience that leads to death. A path of obedience that leads to life and blessing. All right? So we're going to see this very vividly depicted in our psalm this morning. So let's jump into our text. Psalm 1. Psalm 32, verse 1, I mean. Psalm 32. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. So David's going to kick us off with the blessing of forgiveness. And that's reality. That the person who has experienced forgiveness of their sin is blessed. This is like the Beatitudes in Matthew where we hear about certain things that happen that God that we participate in that God blesses and forgiveness is maybe the greatest blessing that we could receive is when we own up the fact that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that includes me and the wages of my sin is death we own up to that God I need you there's a chasm between you and me and no matter how hard I try I can't get there on my own But praise God, he provided a way. God demonstrated his love towards us. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He provided a bridge, if you will, to cross that chasm. All we have to do is accept his free gift of salvation. The moment we believe, our sins are forgiven. Wow. We become accepted by God. We become eternally his, secure, declared righteous, a child of God, part of the family of God. All those things. Wonderful things that happen the moment we believe in Jesus Christ. We are blessed beyond measure to know him and to experience intimacy with our creator as he designed. Isn't that wonderful? The challenge, though, is we still live in a fallen world. And we still have our flesh that wages war against our spirit. And the Satan doesn't want us to experience God's abundant life that he has for us. So he's got a target on our backs. He's coming after us. Because he doesn't want us to experience the fullness of all God has for us to bring honor and glory to his name. Right? But anyway, David's starting out here with he's summarizing that the person whose transgression, that's a military term for somebody that has offended a king. Blessed is he whose transgression is wiped away, is forgiven, and whose sin is covered covered by the blood of the Lamb. We're blessed when we have a relationship with God and our sins forgiven. Verse 2, he's going to say it another way. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there's no deceit. So if we don't have to reckon to our account, if you think of a balance sheet, our own sin, but instead Christ died in our place, he was our substitute, and all of our sin was placed on the person of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross and was raised triumphantly from the grave. If that sin is not reckoned to our account, imputed that iniquity imputed to us, aren't we blessed? That we don't have to pay for our sin? 
Because again, the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. Also, the wages, even after we know him, of continuing in sin and disobedience can lead to pain and misery and death. Not spiritual death because we're eternally secure, but the death of a relationship or the death of a friendship or the death of the abundant life that God has for us. But blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Here's the key. And in whose spirit there's no deceit. So what does that mean? In his spirit, in his inner person, in his heart, he's come clean with God. He's brought brought his sin to light. In his spirit, there's no deceit. This person is honest with himself. He's honest with God. And he's honest with others. Honesty. In his spirit, there's no deceit. David describes this another way in Psalm 15. O Lord, who may abide in your tent, who may dwell in your holy hill, he who walks with integrity, works righteousness, and speaks truth in his heart. And you know, as parents, we want our kids to behave correctly, but we know that it's not just getting correct behavior, it's really a heart issue. Because from the heart flows our speech, our thoughts, our actions. And so that's the beautiful thing about placing our faith in Christ, is God comes in and he gives us the Holy Spirit and he empowers us to live a life Uh, pleasing to him, a life of victory. But again, we have that choice. Am I going to choose a life of cover-up and dishonesty, or am I going to come clean? Am I going to bring my sin to light? And I think we face that each and every day when temptation comes our way. Am I going to cover it up, or am I going to bring it to light? Even coming here to church, right? We want to come, we want to put our best foot forward, and we want to look good, and we want people to like us. And by the way, you all look amazing. You're just, uh, all of you, you're wonderful, beautiful people, right? But don't we want to put our best foot forward, and we want people to like us, and we want people to think, man, we got it all together. You know, we got this great job, we got this great marriage, our kids are perfect, court, right? You know what I mean? We want to project that image. So, oh my gosh, we don't want people to know that we would actually struggle with something, that we would actually have fallen into a sin that they would think less of us. So we cover up and we pretend and we even come to church, the place of all places that we should be honest and open with one another. And as a result of that, the more we do that, the more habitual we or cover up, the more that we put on this front the more calloused our heart can become. And so what we want to see this morning is how God blesses honesty. When we're honest with ourselves, God, others. And we come clean, we bring our sin to light, and we confess it to him. And we're going to see the, the blessing of that. So again, it's not just the outer behavior. God blesses the person in whose spirit there's no deceit. Let's talk about the hard stuff now because there's actually some consequences for keeping our sin silent, for this, the pain of deceit, for covering up. Verse 3, we see David, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my vitality was drained away as with a fever heat of summer. So what's going on here? 
Well, there are physical consequences David is experiencing to his dishonesty. I kept silent about my sin. My body wasted away. We don't know exactly what's going on. Maybe he lost, some, lost weight. Maybe he had ulcers. We, we don't know what was happening, but there were physical consequences in David's life to his dishonesty and his deceit. He was hurting. He was enduring pain physically. He was also enduring pain emotionally through my groaning all day long. And he was experiencing pain spiritually. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. So fever heat of summer, maybe David, did he really have a fever or was this a metaphor? We, we don't know, but we do know that when we're out of fellowship with God, that God disciplines those he loves. Why? Well, just like as parents, we discipline our children because we love them, because we know that if they continue down this path of disobedience and, and sin, there will be consequences in life. God, in fact, has rigged this world to where if we continue down this path, that there will be consequences. And that's why David is going, bridge out. Don't go this way. Come to the, go along the path of openness and transparency and vulnerability and honesty so that God can bless you. And you can re- receive the joy, the victory that he intended for us to have. But isn't it easy to hide? Isn't it easy to cover up? Again, because we want people to like us. We want to have the appearance that we got it all together. We want people to know. We're shamed. Cumulative sin in private leads to greater sin in public. Again, I want to come back to what I mentioned a moment ago. I really don't think David was on the roof of his palace and he happened to see Bathsheba bathing and just went, okay, now's the time to sin. What I've found is I've watched moral flameouts over the years, and I think this is certainly true of David's life, is that it's a slow, gradual, progressive thing. And the more that we sin in private, and we don't confess it to God, don't even admit it to ourselves, the more we can start this progression of hardened heart, callousness. It's easier to cover up a little bit more. It's easy to go a little farther, and pretty soon, we're not even hearing from the Spirit of the Lord, and the conviction isn't even entering into our brain, because now we've removed ourselves, and we're in a bad place. But God loves us enough, he doesn't want to leave us here. Again, that's where often his discipline will come in, or situations will come in, or things with our health, or our emotional status, or... We feel, hopefully, that distance from God because his desire for us is not that we'd allow these sins to accumulate in private that will often lead to a public blowout. But again, when that public blowout happens, I'm just saying there's been a long, slow, progressive chain of events that leads up to that place. Howard Hendricks was surveyed... uh, He surveyed several hundred Christian leaders, primarily pastors, who had had moral failures. He found they had these four things in common. First of all, no accountability. Second, they isolated themselves. Third, they said, it can't happen to me. I'm above that. 
forth, their time with God was only to prepare to teach to others instead of allowing God's word to go through their own heart, their own devotions. It can happen to us. Only but for the grace of God, there go I. We have to have a real fear of God that we are not going to finish well in life unless we are broken before God and unless we are honest with God, unless we admit how much we need him and how much we need the accountability of others in our lives. Let's look at a couple of passages here. 1 John 1, 8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. In Proverbs Solomon says it another way, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Two paths. Which path are you on this morning? Are you on a path of hiding, of secrecy, of trying to conceal, being dishonest? Are you on a path of being willing to confess, being willing to be Honest with God and others and yourself. Path of blessing. Path of restoration. And I will tell you, there is no matter how far we've strayed down this other path of sin and, and, and pain, and no matter how far this morning you may feel removed from God, the well of His grace is so deep that He can still find you. He's waiting with open arms for us to come back to him. I'm very thankful for a ministry we have at Grace called Celebrate Recovery, and I've asked a few uh, people to video their testimonies of brokenness, what God has done, as well as the redemptive work, the power of God, the power of the gospel. And this morning, you're going to hear from a couple of video clips. First one is kind of the before the pain, and then later, the victory of what God can do. I am a believer who has struggled with prescription drug and alcohol abuse, depression, and anger. My name is Craig. The insanity of my old life before recovery was rooted in pride. This pride led to lying. Habitual, calculated, premeditated lying to my spouse, my family, my friends, the world. I even tried lying to God. I attempted to convince everyone, including myself, that I had everything under control and that I was strong enough to carry my own burdens in this life, all by myself, all on my own. I lied so much that I began to believe my own fiction. Meanwhile, my denial and repression began to take its toll in my life. My prescription addiction and alcohol use had continually escalated over the years. My anger and rage came out in explosive rants against those who are closest to me. I was completely isolated from family and friends, riddled with guilt and shame. I was isolated from any true relationship with God. My only true motivation was an obsession with taking pills and scheming on how I could get more. All activity in my life began to only revolve around numbing myself to the reality of my brokenness. Truth is that I had no relationship with God except to beg Him to help me to survive the crushing pain of withdrawals and the overwhelming uncontrolled depression. Looking back, he was always there for me. I was the one who ran and tried to hide. I exiled myself from my family. I only wanted to be left alone and not be bothered with being a husband, a father, a son, a brother, or a friend. My sins had become so obvious that my family held an intervention on me. 
I finally realized that I could not lie or charm myself out of this situation. When my teen daughter tearfully begged me to get help so I could one day walk her down the aisle at her wedding, I broke and I agreed to go to rehab. Wow, that took some courage. I wonder if there's any of us here this morning that can relate to that video, maybe not the exact struggle that Craig described, but you can relate to the hiding, feeling distant from God, the consequences of covering up. I've had times in my own life where I've been there. It's miserable, isn't it? There's no way to live. God doesn't want that for us. That's why he sent Jesus. I'm here to tell you today there's hope. Again, no matter how far you've gone, how far you've drifted. David's going to tell us about that. He's going to give us the prescription for hope, for how we can move forward, for what to do when we find ourselves in that pit of despair. And we see now the path of honesty in verse 5. Let's look there. I want you to notice the shift to first person. David's not going to be talking in general terms. He's going to talk about his own sin. He's going to fess up. He's going to admit it. He's not going to sugarcoat it. He's not going to say, I just fudged a little bit. Look how straightforward honest he is. Verse, Verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you. And my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And here it comes. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Wow. That's truth. Men and women, that's what God wants us to know here this morning. Is how much... He created us for a relationship with himself. He just wants us to be honest with our hurts and our struggles and bring them to him instead of pretending, instead of playing the game, instead of putting on a a mask, to bring them to him. Will you do that today? Will you have the courage that David did to confess sins to God and own up to, I have done this, I've hurt my wife, I've done... I've cheated on whatever. Or it maybe it's not some of the big nasty things, but what God's really been convicting me of, if I could be honest, is pride. Pride. And God says in his word that pride comes before the fall. He even says that he is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So if I'm proud about anything in my life, or if I'm looking at things I have or whatever, those are idols. And I need to confess that to him. That is sin. God, break me of that. Bring me to a place where I'm on my knees before you and and humbled and willing to confess my sin. And a lot of us, if we're honest, we're just, we can get blind to it. We can not even be aware of it. And that's where we need our spouse or others in our lives to point it out. I'll tell you what, I love my wife. We've been married almost 30 years. She's not afraid to call me out on stuff. She did about something this week. She said I'd spoken too harshly to one of our kids. And I went, and then I went, okay, you're right. 
You're right, honey. And I apologized. I thank God that she was willing to do that. I acknowledge my sin to you. My iniquity I did not hide. Said I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave. What did God forgive? What does it say? Not only did he forgive his sins, he forgave the guilt of David's sin. And when we confess our sins to God, his word tells us in the Psalms that our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. That's forever. God says he takes our sin and he puts them in the small of his back. Can you see the small? I can't. It's a picture of, it's gone. And if we're still carrying around guilt of something that we have done, and yes, there are consequences to sin. Yes, David's son died. Yes, there, there, there are consequences to sin. But the guilt that we tend to carry, sometimes we have, even when we've been forgiven, we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. Just know that God has removed that guilt. And the accuser of the brethren is the one that wants to bring that back up and throw it back up in our face, that you're not worthy. Wow. He removes the guilt of our sin. So, let's talk about honesty for a moment. It's free from fraud or deception. It's legitimate, truthful, genuine, real. Are you honest? Again, maybe this morning God's revealing some of the stuff over here. And he's just saying, will you take a step towards me? Will you just own up to it? Or will you be willing to say, God, soften my heart so that I can see these areas that I need to confess before you? Honesty. God honors being honest before him. I'd like to now go to that second video clip, and we're going to hear from Craig. We heard about the, the brokenness and the pain of his lies and deception Let's hear what God did in his life. In a previous career, I was in a uh, position of uh, uh, fiduciary responsibility where honesty was key to everything. And, you know, I, I, was, I had no problem with, uh, you know, keeping my hand out of the till. That was never an issue. But, you know, being honest with myself, uh, being honest with my family and being honest with God, that was a different story. That was a much bigger challenge. Blessing number one is that I'm still alive. Uh, you know, that's where it all begins, and you know, I'm thankful for that because uh, I very easily could not have been. Um, yeah, in in my intervention, my daughter, uh, you know, she she asked me to get help so that uh, one day I could walk her down the aisle at her wedding, and uh, you know, God blessed me with that opportunity uh, just a couple of months ago. I was able to uh, to keep that promise to my daughter that I would be there for her to walk her down the aisle, and got to do so. So a special deal you know I I struggled a long time in life with you know trying to do the right thing and trying to be a good guy and I never really had you know any great purpose when when I lost everything when I was found out to be uh, the fraud that I was um, that was that was the worst ever and now I look back on it having survived that and being brought through it by the grace of God is you know that is the greatest thing that ever happened to me because it has been a change going forward from that. I have a purpose now, which is to help others to be able to, I have a testimony now that I can share that means something, and it's not just lip service. It's true, 
uh, interaction with with the creator of the universe uh, you know he became real in my life and uh, I'm just glad to be able to share that with others praise God Praise God. That's the power of the gospel to set us free. We don't have to continue to wallow in our sin and our pain and our misery. We come clean before God, bring our sin to light, and he forgives us. And we can experience that abundant life that he has for us, that victory. We can be used by him for his glory. That's why he created us. Isn't that wonderful? Wow. Well, David's going to go on in our passage, and he's going to give us some advice. Advice from a forgiven man in verses 6 through 11. First is seek God's protection. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Well, what does that mean? Well, it just means if if God's working in your heart, listen to him, respond to him. Because there's a time when he may not be found. Not that he's moving away from you, but we can get so hardened and so calloused in our heart. And I've seen this happen where people just walk away. Pray to him in a time. I mean, if you hear God speaking to you this morning, respond to him. Listen to him. Take that step of faith towards him. God will bless that. Let everyone who's godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not reach him. Because God protects us when we come to him with honesty. He surrounds us. He protects us. Verse 7. This is where Corey Tinboom gets the title of her book, The Hiding Place. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. So we can be wide open over here down this path of disobedience and we can be wide open to Satan's attacks or we can be honest with God and let him surround us with songs of deliverance, a place of safety and security and protection. Which is is it going to be? Which path? So, (laughs) I love this one. Verse 9, don't be stubborn. Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle, to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Don't be stubborn. Yield to what God wants to do in your life. Two paths. Verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked. That's the path of disobedience, dishonesty. But he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness, chesed, the loyal love of God, shall surround him. Second time in this passage, we've seen surround. He surrounds me in verse 7 with songs of deliverance. In verse 10, God's loving kindness, the goodness of the Lord, will surround us. So what's David's response? Worship. Praise. Verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. And that's what happens when we see God work in our life and forgive us of our sins and set us free is we respond to him with gratitude and thanksgiving and worship. We praise his name for his goodness. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the sin is not in us. The truth is not The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
And then in James 5.16, I mentioned this earlier, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. There's something about, and that's what Celebrate Recovery does, and that's what we're trying to see in all of our small groups here at Grace, is that when we own up, we're honest with God, we're honest with ourselves, and we're honest with somebody else, and we confess that to somebody else, the control of that sin, it just, it just breaks. We're set free. Because now somebody else knows. I was in Missouri last week uh, helping my mom work on our farm, and I was tempted about something, and I called a brother that uh, I meet with for accountability, and he prayed with me, and set, I set free from that. You know what I'm saying? Find accountability. We all need accountability. There's people here in this room. There's groups you can get into so that we can be accountable. So as we wrap up here today, a couple of next step opportunities for you, marriage ministry, go online. You'll actually see three marriage ministries that you could participate in. Is the first called Merge. It's an eight-week course for seriously dating or re-engaged couples. Um, re-engaged. Seriously dating or engaged couples. Uh, no, that's re-engaged later. Um, you need to get married for you. Okay, so uh, Merge. That's an eight-week course that'll be offered um, here this fall. And we need more leaders for that, more mentor couples. So see me if you'd like to be a mentor couple. The other aspect to our marriage ministry is it's called Foundation Groups. It's for newly married couples, and they meet for 15 months in a home. So if you'd like to host a foundation uh, group, let, let us know, let Dean know. Or if you want to jump into one, if you're newly married or, or within the last couple years, jump into a foundation to lay a strong foundation in your marriage. The last ministry you just heard from is re-engage. We can't encourage you enough to jump in to re-engage. It's not just for folks where the wheel's falling off. Maybe you just want to improve your marriage, and we can all grow in our marriage. And the reason we're mentioning this so specifically is because it just starts in two weeks from this Tuesday night, two weeks from this Tuesday night on August the 15th. We also mentioned Celebrate Recovery, and... I'll be honest with you, I think some of you need to be there this Tuesday night. There, some of you have heard what's going on and, and being real, being honest. And it's not just for an addiction, it's for hurts, habits, hang-ups. Join us at Celebrate Recovery. That's at the Southwood campus on Tuesday night. Last thing I want to mention is we have a equipping opportunity called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. Um, that'll start on Sunday morning in the fall. And if, we, if the sign-up's not up yet, but let me know, let Dean know. And this is to really equip us to understand our own heart issues so that we can care for others. Okay, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for just miraculous stories, the, the power of the gospel. Thank you for just the miraculous healing that's taking place and the redemptive work that you've done. You're a God of miracles, and we just uh, praise your name for the way you're working, uh, if we'll allow you. Um, This morning, we uh, just want to tell you we love you. We thank you for this time together. Give us the courage to take that next step, whatever it might be. Maybe it's just to draw near to you so that you can draw near to us, just to take a step towards you in faith to believe and accept your free gift of salvation, to take a step towards you in honesty or confessing our sins to uh, someone else that can hold us accountable and love us and so that we can bear one another's burdens together. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, thanks. Have a great week.